It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Ugh, this is going to be rough. On this episode of Transition Virginia, the seven Republicans running for governor. They're all talking about the same issues, so this becomes a matter of who's built relationships. Who are these people and why are they running? There are many in the party who believe that the reason for a convention is to control the outcome. We're joined by David Ramadan. This is Snyder's convention to lose. And Matt Colt Hall. I think it's a two-person race between Snyder and Youngkin. Conventional politics on this episode of Transition Virginia. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to Transition Virginia, the podcast that examines the ongoing transition of power in Virginia. I'm Michael Pope. And I'm Thomas Bowman. Today's transition team briefing is about the Republican candidates for governor. Delegates across the Commonwealth will select their statewide nominee for governor in a May 8th convention spanning 37 locations. Seven Republican candidates for governor are on the convention ballot, and voters will use ranked choice voting to determine a first choice and a second choice and a third choice and even a sixth and seventh choice. So who are these seven candidates and why are they running? We've got some familiar voices returning to the podcast to help us understand the candidates and what's happening inside the Republican Party. We've got former Republican member of the House of Delegates from Loudoun County, who's now with the Shar School of Policy and Government at George Mason University. David Rabadan, thanks for coming back. Thank you for having me. We're also 
joined by Republican Politico from Roanoke, who's been a contributor to Bearing Drift and now writes for the Virginia Star. Matt Cold Hall, thanks for joining us. Good evening, everybody. I hope everybody's having a nice, quiet evening uh, with a cold beverage in their hand. Well, it's not going to be quiet for long because we're talking politics and specifically Republican politics. Before we start with the candidates, let's sort of set the scene here with the convention and ranked choice voting. What's with the conventions, Matt? Why is it your party is always having conventions? <sighs> Lord, there are many in the party who believe that the reason for a convention is to control the outcome. There is two schools of thought in the Republican Party of Virginia. There is the primary crowd who says that we need to allow every person to have a chance to vote. And then there's the convention crowd that says that only the diehard and true need to vote. So they wanted to have a convention. Well, obviously, we are still coming out of the COVID-19 situation, pandemic, um, where we can't just pack into the John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville and get 15,000 people packed to the rafters. That's just not going to work due to the governor's um, restrictions on gatherings. So they spent about five or six months hem-hawing, arguing, shouting, yelling, fussing, conniving, sniping, fighting back and forth. Um, And they finally decided to do what's called an unassembled convention, meaning that it's almost like a firehouse primary. You will go... For me and Lauren, my lovely bride, will go to the Salem Civic Center. I live in Roanoke City. We will go to the Salem Civic Center. We will cast a ranked choice ballot. Now, Miss Lauren is a vote counter at this uh, convention, so she will be standing there dutifully to make sure that only one ballot is put in the box. And once it's done, she will make sure that those ballots are shipped in a sealed container to the state party where they will be hand counted. That was a recent development that the ballots shall be hand counted one by one by one. And we will not have a result in this convention until maybe Monday or Tuesday uh, after the convention. Let's step back for a second to explain that the Virginia Code allows parties to choose between using the state-run primaries or have a party process to pick their nominees. Historically, both parties at different times had done so. Recently, it's been mostly Republicans who has done so, and primarily so that they control that only said Republicans can participate in the convention. The the problem comes from the fact that Virginia does not have a party registration. Had we had party registration, whereby only Republicans or registered Republicans can pick a Republican ballot, only Democrats can pick a Democrat ballot, and then independents can do neither, then we would see primaries all the time. Amazingly, when Republicans were in charge, they refused to go for party registration. Those bills died every time they were introduced. We've had Democratic majority in Virginia for the last couple of years, and that has yet to change. So both parties want to keep that option available so that when and if they want to 
attempt to control outcome, as Matt had mentioned earlier, they would go for a um, convention. And this year, with the Wild West nomination that's going on among the Republican Party, there was an attempt and belief by even some who normally would vote for primaries that they're better off with a convention so that they can prevent Amanda Chase from becoming the party nominee. There was talk that they could even disqualify her from even running as a Republican within the convention. That did not pan out, um, and now she is one of the seven running. Now, why rank choice? Probably for the same reason, as far as the results are concerned. Um, it's very hard for a hardcore person who can get 15, 20, 30 percent of the vote, perhaps, uh, to reach 50 percent within a, a ranked choice system. If there was no ranked choice, then in a seven-way convention, somebody who can get 15, 20 percent of the vote will end up winning. And that's an outcome they're trying to avoid to start with. Further, you cannot do multiple choices and keep people sitting if you cannot have them under one roof. And because of the COVID restrictions, everybody's got to vote and go and leave. They can't they can congregate. Therefore, the rank choice becomes the easiest way to do it instead of going one ballot after another in person. All right. Well, let's talk about the candidates. And we want to start with Glenn Youngkin. And I want to start with him because he's raised more money than anybody else, almost $8 million. Now, more than $5 million of that was a loan from himself, so chalk that up to the benefits of being filthy rich. He's the former head of the Carlyle Group, one of the world's largest private equity firms. This is how he introduces himself to voters. I was working hard at a firm called the Carlyle Group that started out as a small firm and grew to be a big firm. And I had the amazing privilege to step in and, and, and lead it for a while with another gentleman after our founders stepped back. That was an amazing privilege, and I thought that that was a dream come true. But I had a, I had a calling last summer to step down from Carlisle and go into public service. I love this idea that the Carlisle Group is a small business that became a big business. Uh, what do we make of this bio, uh, David Ramadan? Is this going to sell with Republican voters? Well, the way it's presented, it might sell. However, it's my understanding that's not necessarily the best presentation of the background here. Um, the Carlyle Group was never really a small business. It started out as a big enterprise. And uh, it's my understanding that Mr. Yonkin, who made it to co-chair of the Carlyle Group, had left the Carlyle Group way before deciding to run for office and that there was a disruption or, or misunderstanding, uh, disagreement among the Carlyle Group leadership. So therefore, um, he left. Everybody's entitled to run. Everybody uh, can run. It's a great system. That's what democracy is all about. However, this is yet another millionaire who decided, you know, I got nothing better to do today and let me run. And even though the story of somebody who started with a small group and ended up with a big group and I stepped down, it doesn't jive. And for anybody who can spend five minutes researching on the internet, he or she will find out that that's not the story. And the numbers that we're seeing out there is it makes it clear that he's not catching wind with people. He's not gaining support. Uh, takes a while to become a known commodity among the electorate, especially when we're talking among convention electorate. That's a hardcore. You need to spend years of going from one committee to another. 
you need to have drinks and, and go to barbecue uh, events and, and sit in backyards and, and veteran organizations and, and women groups. And there's simply not enough time to do that in eight or 10 months prior to an election. And therefore, Mr. Youngkin is not going to catch the following that he expects to catch in a convention setting. And I predict that I don't think he will get more than 10% of the vote. Matt, private equity groups are the same groups that take over your workplace and fire everyone. How is Glenn Youngkin going to play in a place like Southwest Virginia? Well, I want to uh, heavily disagree because I've gotten a chance to know Glenn Youngkin, and uh, I, I can't say anything but I'm impressed. I'm not saying I endorse him. I'm not saying that I'm going to vote for him. But just the character of the guy I've gotten to meet is just really genuine. And and honestly, I was floored. People had started saying, oh, Glenn Youngkin's going to run for governor. He's this very connected, you know, very wealthy um, businessman from D.C. And immediately I was like, oh, this is going to be rough. And then all of a sudden he texts me and he says, Matt, I know you're very influential in Southwest. I want you, you and I to just have a conversation. I said, that's fantastic. And so he called me at 6.30 one morning, and we just talked over a cup of coffee over the phone and talked about our life and our family and our faith, uh, country music. Uh, he's a big George Strait fan. Um, and, we, and we just got to know each other on a personal level. The thing that, you know, I think my friend Delegate Ramadan doesn't see is that his humanity and his charisma are showing a lot of work ethic and and showing that he's really connecting with people. The way I see it here in Western Virginia is that people are just engaged with him. There was a recent forum at Liberty University, and he had campaigned for 12 hours prior to that forum. And after that forum, he stayed after for an hour and a half to talk to people and literally was holding court. And people were just listening to every word he said, because he's just engaging and charismatic. I mean, the man oozes charisma. And the other thing about it is he's got a great community organizing effort. You know, specifically here in Roanoke, I've met the young guys who are working at, um, for example, Gavin here in Roanoke. Basically, his only job is to go out and community organize similar to like Obama 08, where they're like, let's go into a community group. You get one person engaged, that person gets five people, and then so on and so forth. But unlike other campaigns statewide in Virginia, they've got one person for a county instead of one person for 15 counties. So that's going to play very differently. Are there things that Glenn has working against him? Sure. His name ID is not as high as other candidates. He's still trying to learn about how this process works. He's still new to us and we're still learning things about him. But I think he's definitely a contender. I think he'll get definitely more than 10%. Personally, I think it's a two-person race between Snyder and Yunkin. Matt, a minute ago you mentioned Pete Snyder, so let's go to him. He's raised the second largest amount of money, almost $7 million. Once again, it pays to be filthy rich. Snyder loaned his campaign more than $5 million. So that makes two candidates in this race who gave themselves $5 million. On the campaign trail, this is how he introduces himself to voters. My career has been about building businesses, creating new industries, making dreams become reality 
all while disrupting the status quo. We've had eight years of failed leadership by Northam, McCullough, and the rest of the career politicians. It's clear we need change. Virginia needs to lead again, and I will lead the way. Pete Snyder for governor, innovator, disruptor, problem solver. Does Virginia need a disruptor? Virginia probably does need a disruptor. I'm a little biased. I actually worked on Snyder's first campaign um, as a young college intern on his lieutenant governor's race in 2013. And so Snyder has played the long game. And he's been working for this. And that's the advantage that Snyder has on Yunkin. It's a convention, so it's obviously about individual connections. And he has played the long game. He knows these activists. He knows you know, the details about them, the party leaders, the party elders, he knows everything about them. And he has a lot of the same folks that have run conventions in Virginia, sometimes to the chagrin of activists, it's the same people who have run, you know, conventions past. And so he knows the playing field and he's played the long game to get to this nomination. I don't want to say that he feels like he's earned it because that's not the case. He is working hard to get that nomination and he has been loyal to this party and worked very hard to get in the position he's in to be in that top two front runner status. In my opinion, this is Snyder's convention to lose Um, this. He's been working this for eight years now and he had had the time to go around the state. He had had the time to attend the barbecues. Heck, he, he had, he's been holding the barbecues and dragging his rig around and feeding everybody around the state. He had played in every small committee meetings, um, every backyard gathering, and he had built a name for himself. It didn't pan out for him in the first run, just like it, I, I don't anticipate it panning out for um, Yunkin this time, simply because he didn't have the time the first round to build his name recognition and build those relationships. Look, when you look today at these um, at the candidates, there's really not a huge difference, with the exception of you know put Amanda Chase out there um, on the side. There's not really a huge difference in ideology here. Um, they're all talking about the same issues. Um, so this becomes a matter of who's who has built relationships. And uh, Snyder had had the time to build those relationships. And that's why he is a front runner. And that's why this is his convention to lose. Now, our next candidate is former House Speaker Kirk Cox. Now, he has not given himself $5 million, but his gubernatorial campaign did receive more than $300,000 from his leadership committee. Overall, he's raised about $1 million, which would be a really good number if he wasn't running against millionaires who are bankrolling their campaigns. On the campaign trail, this is how he introduces himself to voters. For 30 years, I taught U.S. and Virginia government. I taught about our representative democracy and the timeless principles it's built on. Along the way, I got to coach a few ball games, sharing with kids the values of character and hard work. Nowadays, it seems all of that is under attack. Timeless principles like free speech and the freedom to worship are being replaced with a council culture that says if you don't act and think like big city elites, you're ignorant and bigoted. David Ramadan, can Kirk Cox win by running against cancel culture? Uh, He cannot win regardless how he's running. Kirk is the most experienced 
candidate in this race with uh, with uh, 30 years in the house uh, served as speaker he is probably the most influential policy wise and probably the person who has the most relationships within the richmond circles however he has some weaknesses uh, one of which is he never was a grassroots leader not outside of the richmond and his district area um even as speaker he 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 wasn't he wasn't the party leader per se he was just a speaker and the caucus leader and uh, kirk had two uh, votes that will hurt him and will continue to hurt him in any party nomination uh, he had ushered the um, highest tax increase or second highest tax increase in virginia history the transportation bill um, about 10 years ago and then he had ushered Obamacare. And in a, um, in a convention setting where the hardcore of the party are the only voters, these are voters that don't want somebody who had voted for Obamacare. They don't want somebody who had ushered in race taxes. And he will absolutely be at a disadvantage. And therefore, whether he's running for or against any culture, um, there's no way that he can win. So what I'd say about my friend Speaker Cox is that he has been a principled leader with the exception of those two votes. But the problem is you're running in a convention and those two votes mean a lot to the convention base. Uh, Speaker Cox has really, you know, had a storied career in the General Assembly and a lot of his endorsements are his former colleagues. However, as we get to the close of the campaign, you can start to tell that it's not the math isn't adding up, and, and I see that every day. Um, I think he's definitely going to be a player in the convention. The, the thing about it is, though, I, I have yet to see, and, and this is something that really just makes me scratch my head, is that the Cox campaign keeps saying, I've got all this support, I've got all this support, but the only time they ever talk about who's supporting him are party officials and elected officials. I don't see a lot of the rank and file of the party, you know, your average just precinct captain or your just regular convention attendee or your regular Republican Party committee person supporting Kirk Cox. And I think that stems from they don't agree with his record on the two issues that Delegate Ramadan mentioned, especially the Medicaid expansion, because Virginians were told for years that you need to elect a Republican majority and we will defeat Obamacare. We will not pass Medicaid expansion. And then all of a sudden, we passed it. And so a lot of voters that you talk to feel like we were told for 10 years you weren't going to do it, and then all of a sudden you did it. And so they kind of feel a lot to. And that's not just indicative of Kirk Cox. There was a lot of people involved in that decision on, you know, my friend Terry Kilgore, and lots of folks. So the thing is, is that voters have some issues with his voting record. At the same time, he's got a lot of institutional support and party leadership. But I have yet to see that translate into the rank and file of the Republican Party. You know, your average Joe who doesn't attend every committee meeting or doesn't watch nine hours of Fox News or, you know, the folks that don't listen to Transition Virginia, although they should, I don't see your regular party folks coming out and saying, I want to vote for Kirk Cox. And I think that's his biggest problem. 
All right. Well, we're at least canceling the discussion on Kurt Cox to move to our next candidate. You can't put lipstick on a pig, but you can put lipstick on Senator Amanda Chase, (sighs) (laughs) the firebrand conservative Republican who likes to call herself Trump in heels. She's best known for speaking at the January 6th rally that led to the Capitol coup attempt. Then she defended the people involved by saying these were not rioters and looters. These were patriots. Then she denied she ever called the people who stormed the Capitol patriots and unsuccessfully tried to cancel Michael Pope. This is how she introduces herself to voters. What I believe I bring is something we've never had before. We've never had a Republican woman to seek the Republican nomination for governor. You know, 50 percent of the population is women, and that's the demographic we need. We also need suburban women. I am a suburban woman. Can Amanda Chase increase Republican votes among suburban women? (laughs) Yeah, no, not going to happen. I'm sorry. I had to laugh. I couldn't hold it in. I tried. I tried. Uh, if my editor's listening, I really tried. I prayed and I tried and it didn't work. No, she <laughs> she will she will embarrass us in the suburbs. Um, Senator Chase just, she has lit her hair on fire and the Republican voters are just kind of getting tired of it. I, I, I'm going to be honest, there are a lot of the people who are attending this convention who have just heard her stomp her feet and scream at the top of her lungs for far too long. She has turned into the boy who cried wolf. She is the Amanda who cried nonsense, and she constantly is screaming and squawking about something. And, you know, at some point, voters just kind of turn her off. And I think she's at that point. You saw it in her finance report. She had a very weak Q1 finance report. She got banned from Facebook, and you have to either follow her personal Facebook page or you have to find one of her supporters who will post about where she's at. And she doesn't have the organization to actually get a convention together, which might have been the reason why we have a convention. I think it was, in my personal opinion. But she just constantly, she's constantly lighting her hair on fire and getting mad about every little thing. And it's every day. And this, uh, she's making everyone mad. And literally, the thing about it is the Richmond community, the political community, left, right, and center, is looking to find someone to primary her in 2023 because they're just so frustrated. I don't think she makes it to the final ballot. And to be honest, I think her political career is kind of shot at this point. Look, Amanda Chase is the epitome of what's wrong with the Republican Party today and what's the epitome of that xenophobic, uh, white nationalist, populist segment of the American society that is un-American by definition. She uses standard language that she had picked up from every xenophobe and racist out there to scare people off. She doesn't belong in any realm of politics. She doesn't belong in any realm of public office. She is right that Republicans need the women vote. She is right that Republicans need the suburban uh, demographic. But what she doesn't understand or even comprehend that she is exactly the reason and the example of why 
women in America are not voting Republican and why minorities in America are not voting Republican and why suburbia is not voting Republican. Sadly, she will probably be the top candidate on the first ballot. But she, there's, I don't see how by any, in any formula that she is the second, third, or fourth choice for anybody but that xenophobic, racist, nationalist segment that will go there to vote for her and for nobody else. And therefore, in a, in a choice ballot like we have in ranked choice ballot, um, she's not likely to make it. So before we move on to the next candidate, David Ramadan, I want to make sure I put a pen in this. So at the top, you said one of the reasons to, for having a convention was specifically to prevent her from getting the nom- nomination. Now, under sort of normal rules where you had the candidate with the most votes winning the nomination, she actually might end up walking away from the convention with the nomination. However, that's not what they're doing. It's not just a convention. It's also a convention with ranked choice voting. So do you think that ranked choice voting and you the first choice and the second choice and you eliminate the candidate with the lowest number of votes and you and you distribute those votes, do you think that that actually prevents her from getting the nomination? Correct. Um, the, the initial thought of having the convention was partly to try to eliminate her from running because in a convention, there's a conventions committee, a rules committee, a subcommittee of the SEC that's going to decide who qualifies to, to be a candidate or not. And because she's been kicked out of the Republican Party in, in her local county, because she's no longer a member of the caucus, there is an argument to make that she shouldn't be allowed to run in that convention. Um, however, that ship had sailed and they allowed her to. But the back door to this is that rank choice will likely result in her not being able to gather enough voters to win. Now, let me tell you, if I'm wrong, and I have been wrong before, after all, Donald Trump became president. Who, who, who called it? Nobody did. I certainly didn't. If I'm wrong and she ends up to be the nominee, that means more than 50% of the Republican electorate in Virginia had in in uh, in the convention had chosen her to be the nominee and that will absolutely be the end of the mailbox uh, called RPV and and uh, answering machine uh, that exists even that answering machine and mailbox at that point needs to shut down and go home so we haven't talked about the rest of the candidates yet. We're going to get around to them. Matt, I want to ask you a question. So if you're an Octavia Johnson voter and you're, you know, Octavia Johnson is the first off the list, is there any possibility that Amanda Chase is your number two? Similarly, if you're a Peter Duran voter and Peter Duran is eliminated in round two, is there any chance that Amanda Chase is your number two choice? Similarly, uh, Sergio De La Pena. For the De La Pena voters... Once he's eliminated, is there any chance those voters put Amanda Chase as their number two? I haven't met any person supporting Octavia Johnson, uh, Peter Duran, or Sergio De La Pena. Just truthfully, honestly, like they're either Snyder, Youngkin, Chase, very few Cox people, and these other three, like they just started running. We don't know who they are. Like, and so it, even Octavia Johnson, who was my sheriff in Roanoke City, which Lord knows what she's doing, because I, I don't. She has eight hundred dollars cash on hand to run for governor of the Commonwealth, and I'm still baffled at what she's doing. 
Um, you know, I there's no way of knowing because I have yet to meet an actual like bona fide this is who I'm supporting. I'm supporting Octavia Johnson or Peter Duran. A few party activists have posted on social media that they're supporting Sergio de la Pena. I want to be fair to him. I think it's a little more clear as to where the top four's delegates might go. Um, but but the the bottom three candidates, I, I have no idea. Well, actually, since, since you said that, let's uh, sort of zoom through our final three candidates here. So Sergio de la Pena has raised about $300,000. That's a very small amount of money compared to everybody else. This is how he introduces himself on the campaign trail. I came from Mexico. I was, I was raising a house with dirt floors and no running water, picking cotton at 10, 20 different jobs before I joined the Army. I went to Airborne and Ranger School before I started in the Army, which gave me the foundation for leadership that I would later put into effect the time I was in the Army. I fought socialists and communists the entire time I was in the Army, and I continue to do so even to this day. Because what we've seen is that they've gone from bullets to ballots so many of these candidates are running against socialism, but De La Pena has this personal story. Can someone who came from Mexico get the Republican nomination to run for governor? No. No. Next up is Peter Duran. He's raised 16 grand. This is how he introduces himself on the campaign trail. I spent my career helping countries that have been destroyed by socialism to chart a new path and to get strong. I wrote the book on how to take down big monopolies. I'm running for governor. Because I think it's about time that we had a candidate with a winning conservative vision for leading our commonwealth. Virginia should be the best. Number one in schools. Number one in safety. Number one in jobs. Not top five. Not pretty good. I mean number one. Can a guy who only raised 16 yellow poker chips make Virginia number one? No. No. All right. Well, then next up is former Roanoke Sheriff Octavia Johnson. She's raised about... $1,000. This is how she talks about herself on the campaign trail. Everybody has heard of all the other candidates. They know what their message is. Now they're going to hear Octavia Johnson's message. And that will help them to decide who is stale bread and who is fresh bread. Matt Cole Hall, is your former sheriff fresh bread? Uh, no. Uh, she was sheriff, and then she lost her election, and then she ran in the uh, district where Sam Rasool currently serves uh, in the special against Sam Rasool, and uh, she failed in that election very miserably, very poorly run campaign. Uh, Speaker Howell uh, poured like $100,000 into that race and failed miserably, and she hasn't done anything politically since except show up to a few Republican women's meetings and a few committee meetings here in the city of Roanoke. And then all of a sudden she wants to run for governor. I have no idea what she's doing. No idea at all. And like we live five miles apart from each other. I, I just I, I, I don't know. I don't know of a single Roanoke resident who is not her family member who is supporting her. It's odd. Ouch. We're going to take a break. But before we do, in the tradition of ranked choice voting, we're going to determine that none of these candidates have achieved a majority of votes yet. So we're going to eliminate three candidates with the least amount of money. When we come back, we'll talk about issues behind the campaigns of Glenn Youngkin, Pete Snyder, Kirk Cox, and Amanda Chase.
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And I'll tell you what doesn't help is when we have reporters like Michael Pope from WVTF, these were not rioters and looters. These were patriots. I never called the people who stormed the Capitol patriots. These were not rioters and looters. These were patriots. I never called the people who stormed the Capitol patriots. We have to hold our media accountable. You can help our podcast hold people in power accountable. Head over to TransitionVirginia.com and hit the button that says Contribute on Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can help us speak truth to power. And we're back on Transition Virginia. We're talking about the Republican candidates for governor, and we're going to get into what they would do if elected. Let's start with our big money candidate, Glenn Youngkin. This is Youngkin talking to Don Croa at WAVA. When this governor opened up massage parlors and ABC stores and kept my church closed last year, Mm -hmm. I knew he didn't share the same values I do. So we're going to stand up for our First Amendment rights. But we're also going to stand up for the unborn. We're going to stand up for our 10th Amendment right and the overreach from Washington right now. Goodness gracious, Don, they're they're actually debating a bill to pack the court. All right. So is this a message that will work with Republicans? With the Republicans, it will. But if we're assuming that this person has gotten the nomination at that point, this is a losing message in the general. The fact of the matter is, is that we're going into an election that is going to be directly after the first year of Biden-Harris, you know, and and yes, there used to be the old tradition in Virginia that whoever was in the White House, the opposing party would be in the governor's mansion of the Commonwealth. Um, That's been thrown out the window since the election of Terry McAuliffe. However, it could connect with Virginia voters, and that's not indicative of Yunkin, that's indicative of everyone, that this election will probably, at the end of it, turn into a referendum on the Biden first year in office. Next up is our other big money candidate in this race, Pete Snyder. Illegal immigration costs taxpayers billions, and it brings crime and gangs into our communities. Northam and McAuliffe won't take violent illegals off our streets, but I will. When I'm governor, I'll enforce the law and deport violent criminals. David Ramadan, will scapegoating undocumented immigrants by calling them illegals work to secure the nomination in this convention? 
Yeah, it'll 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 absolutely work for the convention, and it'll absolutely guarantee a loss in the general election again. It doesn't matter who you can plug change names here: uh, Snyder, Youngkin, Cox, uh, uh, Chase. It doesn't matter who the name is. Any and all of these messages that we're hearing are messages purely to win the Republican convention, and these are messages that are absolutely messages that will not resonate with the majority of the populace in Virginia. They will not resolute with the um, electorate power centers such as Northern Virginia and Hampton Roads and, and so. And therefore, these are messages that are just, in my mind, guarantees um, the loss in a general election. Well, not to completely disagree with the gentleman from South Riding, but I am going to disagree with the gentleman from South Riding because, you know, Mr. Snyder's campaign has focused on opening schools. And I can tell you right now the biggest frustration amongst middle class families in Virginia is that our schools are still closed and that we aren't trying to at least go to a hybrid model, if not opening schools five days a week. I completely agree with Mr. Snyder. I'm not endorsing Mr. Snyder, but what I'm saying is we need to get our schools open. Matt, my friend, by the time that the general election come around, schools would be open. It's an, it's an old issue. Also, Matt, we're talking about immigration here. What do you make of his position on immigration? I think that it's a concern of the Republican base. I think there is a concern and there's a way to word it very differently than what he's wording it. You know, I don't like that we're using the terminology he's using, but there is a concern amongst the base of what's happening at the border since President Biden took office. There is a concern. I understand that a lot of folks may not see that. Um but there is a concern amongst the Republican base and a concern amongst average voters that there is a problem at our southern border. It's more than a concern. It's a fear. It's a phobia at this point through the Republican base. But that does not win your general elections. Numbers are not there. These are these are messages that are not that, that are not resonating with the majority of the populace of Virginia. And that's why whoever ends up the nominee of the party because of this messaging, and this is not not against any single one of the Republican nominees, but regardless of who the nominee is, because of the messaging that is prevalent to the party and that we're seeing from all of them, they will end up losing this election by double digits. I disagree. That Snyder ad did remind me of that infamous Gillespie ad on immigration. And remember what happened to Ed Gillespie? He lost. Well, that was a total pot shot of an ad. I still am bitter about that ad. That was not the character of who Ed Gillespie was. Ed Gillespie is my friend and a kind and good-hearted man and a strong man of Christian faith, and I'm still angry about that ad, and it's been four years. Um, you know, And I don't think that's Pete Snyder's character. I don't think that's a majority of the Republican field's character, and I don't think it's a majority of Republican voters' character. There is a concern about immigration amongst uh, the average populace in America. I know that MSNBC doesn't portray that, but there is a real concern about the way this is happening at our southern border and the fact that we're cramming these folks into these detention centers and we're not doing this in a way, and I'm not saying I have the complete 100% answer, but what I'm saying is there's real concern, and I think it's more than just the Republican base. Just to write it off as the Republican base is wrong. I think it's the average American is concerned about it. I think there's a way to word it that's a little more presentable, 
But at the same time, we can't just write it off and say, oh, just the base is concerned about it. No, everyday Americans and everyday Virginians are concerned about what's happening at our southern border. All right. Well, we got to move on because these are all good points and food for thought. But next up is Cut Cox, who depaced his career trying to undercut women's health care. Here's one of his spots highlighting the issue. When I first heard the governor's radio interview where he basically advocated for abortion right up until birth, I was devastated. I took an unprecedented step as speaker. I came off the podium of the dais, went down to the floor, made a speech on how important life was. I will never stop fighting for the promise of life. I would do anything I could as speaker to stop that. And we did. I will stand up to the pro-abortion radicals. All right, let's talk about this moment in 2019 when Speaker Cox walked down those steps and took a spot on the House floor to give a speech opposing abortion rights. What does that moment tell us about Speaker Cox? David Ramadan, I'll start with you. Look, this is a very, um, very personal issue for Kirk. Um, and this is uh, this is his deep belief, um, and I respect that. Um and and I share that belief in in life. Uh, however, uh, this moment in particular was at the time, regardless of of how personal, regardless how genuine it was, it was also a time where um, Kirk was Kirk, not Kirk as a speaker. And and we've seen in the last uh, couple of months some shots coming up against him for the lack of leadership um, from a couple of his caucus members, current caucus members, um, that took a, a shot at him for um, uh, for that moment and for other moments. Um, so again, this will be a a uh, um, a winning message in general, in a, in a normal Republican primary, not in a convention that we're seeing today. However, um, there's not enough goodwill here to make up for him in the convention against the two other issues that we talked about earlier, and certainly is not going to be an issue that will win in the general election. I would say that um, my friend Speaker Cox has always been a leader um, when it comes to the issue of life, and, and I, I really respect that because he's not... The thing when it comes to Speaker Cox is he's not angry about the issue. He doesn't get all in your face about it, but he approaches it from a position of Christian love, and he approaches it from a way that he wants to understand, and he almost approaches it like that teacher mentality of, I want to help you understand the issue, and I want to work with you. So I I think it's great for our party to talk about, but at the same time, I don't think it's going to resonate and overshadow the votes on Medicaid expansion and other things that he had to take in his career uh, with the convention voters. All right. Our next candidate is Amanda Chase, who has been repeating the big lie that the election was stolen. On the Senate floor, she used the word patriot to describe the QAnon supporter who illegally entered the Capitol and ignored police commands to stop as she crawled through broken glass to get into the Speaker's lobby where members of Congress were fleeing from their safety. On the floor of the Virginia Senate, this is what Senator Amanda Chase said about that day. I want you to say a name. Ashley Babbitt. Say her name. An unarmed veteran who was shot by Capitol Police. The woman fatally shot 
inside the U.S. Capitol Wednesday has been identified as Ashley Babbitt. Babbitt was a 14-year veteran who served four tours with the Air Force and resided in San Diego, according to media reports. Babbitt was a strong supporter of President Trump, according to her husband. We remember Ashley and the three who died of medical emergencies and the Capitol Police officer who died during the chaos at the Capitol. These were not rioters and looters. These were patriots who love their country and do not want to see our great republic turn into a socialist country. David Ramadan, can the big lie win over a majority of these Republican delegates? No, she'll win the, the, the 20 to 30 percent of the delegates that will come in, and that's the limit of that big lie. However, the problem with the big lie and the problem with individuals like Amanda Chase is that they are truly poisoning the rest of the party. Um, unfortunately, uh, there is still 50% or so of the Republican base that believes that the uh, election was stolen. It was not. They believe that these idiots that went to the Capitol Hill are patriots. They are not. They are looters. Um, they believe that uh, what they were doing was patriotic. It is not. That was un-American and that was illegal. And they deserve to be thrown in jail. And that's that's where they belong. Senator Chase's rhetoric was absolutely uncalled for. Now, there are concerns of ballot integrity, um, especially when it comes to changes in voter ID laws and voter access laws and things like that. I think there's a genuine concern. And I think there's you know, thoughts amongst the Republican base that there were problems in this election. Now, whether it was stolen, you know, that's that's up to somebody who's way above my pay grade. Well, come on, my brother. No, now, now, Delegate Ramadan, we can we come can on. Cannot be above your pay grade. There is no stolen election. Period. And if we don't start from that, then we are poisoning the entire discussion. There was no stolen election. Period. But my my friend, Delegate Ramadan, could you say without a shadow of doubt that every ballot that was cast, every ballot in every part of the United States of America was absolutely 100% valid? And the answer is no. And there were problems with the fact that voter ID laws weren't being followed or they had been repealed in the first place. There were concerns. I'm not saying the election was stolen. I'm saying there were concerns raised. I'm not saying that they were all right concerns, but... We have a problem in our country where we can't have civil discourse anymore. And if you disagree, therefore, you're wrong and you need to push out of society. And therefore, we should be able to have open discussion and say, look, here's the concerns I have. Here's the concerns you have. And let's come to, you know, we may not come to an agreement, but we're not going to yell at each other in the process. And that's what we lost in that entire 2020 election, in my personal opinion. Now, we lost more than that, my friend. We lost we lost the basis of what's fact and what's fiction. Um, you can disagree on things and you're entitled to an opinion, but nobody's entitled to their own facts. There was not a stolen election. There was a process. The process was verified again and again and again. There were lawsuits. They all came out short and false. So if we're even going to entertain that thought then we are starting with the wrong base. And if we don't have a base to start with, if we don't have facts that are absolutely indisputable to start with, then there couldn't be even a discussion, mind you, to have a civil discussion. And the minute that we are even allowing 
that 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 discussion of a stolen election to be within the same discussion of well maybe and no and it's above no 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 there's no maybe there was no stolen election period no discussion about that all right we've got some relevant listener mail from robert dyer and he says thank you for your podcast it's really helped him understand the political landscape of virginia he's got a question related to the current 21 primary campaigns The GOP is doing a convention this year on May 8th, while the Democratic Party has a primary on June 8th. He's wondering if there's anything stopping typical GOP voters from participating in the June 8th primary. Anyone can walk into the June primary as long as they are a registered voter and vote. There is no party registration in Virginia. Therefore, a Republican, Independent, or a Democrat can walk in and vote. That said, it's not likely that you're going to see a big number or even a small number of Republicans that are going to participate in the Democratic primary. If they wanted to participate in a Republican-run nominating contest in in the near future, so like, for example, you vote in the Democratic primary in June, and then in 2022, you want to participate in a convention or a mass meeting and they are able to find through the voter record that you participate in a Democratic primary. Now, you can get out of this problem by renouncing that in a written statement, um, which is so ridiculous. Um, but you can renounce that in a written statement and you can go ahead and go vote um, unless you've done the written statement before. And then you do it again and then you're banished for four years. You know, the other thing he brings up is that. He wants to know, hypothetically, is there a chance these voters knock out Terry McCullough from winning the nomination and instead elect someone like Lee Carter? So Republicans who don't even want to bother with the Republican nomination, or maybe they did, and the convention means that they can still vote in the Democratic primary. He wants to know, can they all get together and elect somebody like Lee Carter, who presumably would be less appetizing at a state level than someone like Terry McCullough? Theoretically, we can sit down and dream up a scenario where this would happen. However, practically and realistically, it will be so minuscule that it will not even register a one percentage difference statewide. All right. One last question before we end this podcast. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate both of you coming on. I'm going to put you both on the spot and make predictions here. How many rounds do you think we're going to go through? And what do you think the top one, two, and three are going to be. David Ramadan, I'll start with you. Probably go through five or six rounds because of the number. At the end, my prediction will be Snyder will come out as the winner with uh, Amanda Chase, either number two or three, and then three or four between Youngkin and uh, Kirk Cox. So I will tell you, I think it's going to go three rounds. Um, I think the final round will have Pete Snyder, Glenn Youngkin, and Amanda Chase. I do not want to specify where they will be on that third ballot. As I like to tell people, everybody wants me to look into my crystal ball, and my crystal ball has uh, Smith Mount Lake water in it, uh, as a joke for Delegate Ramadan. Um, It has uh, lake water in it. It's green. I can't tell, and I have no idea what order they will be in, but my best guess will be that the Final ballot will contain uh, Pete Snyder, Glenn Youngkin, and Amanda Chase. So it sounds like both of the predictions are for Snyder. Is that right? Uh, Well, 
I, I think that the top two are Snyder, Yunkin. I'm not going to specify who's ahead and who's not, but I am going to say that the top two are Snyder, Yunkin. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Snyder, Yunkin. Hmm. And somewhere between ballots number three and five. Okay, great. Any other thoughts about this May 8th Republican convention? Uh, yes. Despite all of our analysis and predictions, uh, it is a uh, unassembled convention, which means it is a crapshoot and anything could happen. My hope is that every Republican in the Commonwealth of Virginia who signed up to be a delegate will go out and participate, get involved, say your, say your piece, and get it out there. And I would encourage anyone who's listening, do what my wife Lauren is doing. Uh, she is actually volunteering. I can't volunteer because, you know, I'm in the media and stuff like that. But my wife's going to volunteer to make sure that, you know, the process runs smoothly, that ballots are being distributed properly. Volunteer and make your voice heard. And on a final note, oh, my God, I just hope this thing ends quickly. I'm ready to have a weekend away from campaign life. I love it. I enjoy it so much. And I thank every reader, every listener, and every person who puts up with my nonsense. But I'm ready for this to be over. I hate to admit it, but I'm ready for it to be done. (laughs) You and me both, Matt. Let's just get on to Overlord McAuliffe. No, there is no return of the Mac. There is no return of the Mac. None. I want a Republican governor. So that's all for this episode. Support us on Patreon or send us an email to transitionvapodcast at gmail.com. Like and follow at TransitionVA on Twitter and anywhere pods are cast. Read the transcripts at transitionvirginia.com. And special thanks to Emily Cottrell for figuring out what the heck we're saying. Thanks for being on the transition team. We're your hosts, Thomas Bowman. And I'm Michael Pope. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.